Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. And so got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Touchdown, Lions. Two. One. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, Michael Rothstein. This episode, as always, is brought to you by Bet Online. Go check them out. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE and receive your new welcome bonus. Sports are coming back. So, hey, if you're looking to wager, betonline.ag would be your place to go. So I'm sitting here on the same chair I've recorded every non-interview podcast for the past two months at this point. I, I, I can't even keep track anymore. It's Sunday morning, late morning, and it's, you know, it's pretty gray and cloudy outside. It's supposed to rain most of the day. I went for a run yesterday. It was gorgeous out yesterday and actually saw more people outside than I have seen probably in any of my runs for the two months prior combined, which was both a decent sign, I guess, here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, but also obviously a sign of concern. But everybody seemed to be practicing good social distancing and for the most part wearing masks and all of that seemed to be positives here as we prep for Michigan to maybe start to reopen the state here in, I guess, a little over a week or so. And who knows what any of this is going to look like. Let's let's be honest. We, we don't know. Anyone at this point, I'm convinced, who says that they know really doesn't. You can look at the models all you want, but things have changed because flattening the curve clearly worked in some cases. And I don't know. I, I At this point, if I'm being honest, when it comes to the COVID-19 crisis, I am not sure exactly anything anymore. I just am still erring on the side of caution and likely will be for a while. So we're going to do a mailbag episode. In this episode, got a bunch of questions to answer from you, the, the listeners and the Twitter followers. Very great very appreciative of all of you. One or two things I want to hit on before we get to all of the questions. Obviously, Matthew Stafford talked on Thursday, and then it came out that they put their house up for sale on Friday morning. For a brief moment, there was Twitter was aflame, and there was speculation of what this means, especially with Philip Rivers and Tom Brady selling their houses in the past, and then obviously moving on. With Matthew Stafford, I don't know. I, I don't think it's quite that. And that's in part because 
Matthew Stafford's under contract for three more seasons, including 2020. Obviously, Kelly Stafford came out and said that part of the reason that they are moving from their home, which they really enjoy in Michigan, and honestly, it's an amazing home, is because they're going to have four children age under four here once Kelly gives birth a little bit later this year, and they just don't want them by water where they can be running around. And I totally understand that. When I was really, really young, uh, we moved into the house that I grew up in on my first birthday, and it had a pool. It had a small in-ground pool, and my mom actually made my dad have it covered. And so we didn't have a pool growing up because they were worried about me wandering off, obviously, and falling into a pool and no one noticing. I totally, totally understand that. I've actually had that. I had that conversation with my mom and my dad once they got a little bit older. So that perspective, I totally, totally get. Parenting, I don't have any kids. I would imagine parenting is incredibly hard. I've seen friends who have kids and the utmost respect goes to them. I know what my parents did growing up. I mean, and, and, and the slightest mistake, like I actually was dropped as a kid and you know you you feel bad they feel bad on that parents feel bad immediately anyway so i totally understand that reasoning but let's and also matthew stafford like i said had his three years left on his deal so the only way that matthew stafford's really getting moved is if he gets traded or released the lions aren't going to be releasing him so fast so it would come down to a trade and Listen, Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia are not trading Matthew Stafford. Of course, it's entirely possible that Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia aren't here after this season. And I think in that case, that's when it really gets interesting for Matthew Stafford. Because if there's a new GM and there's a new head coach, then one would think at that point, ownership will let them make a decision on whether they feel like Matthew Stafford's the quarterback they want to go with in the long term. So as we talked about a lot during the draft, when we were talking about Herbert or Tua, that's where I think you could see that Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes situation come into play, or depending on what draft pick they had. And if both those guys get fired, there's a decent chance it's a pretty high pick, depending what the quarterback situations look like in the draft or in free agency. Maybe they decide to trade Stafford and go a different direction. These are all big hypotheses for down the road and in the future, but I wouldn't read too much into the Stafford selling their home just yet. Let's see what happens after the 2020 season. And I think at that point, we'll have a much clearer picture because it's not like Brady. It's not like Philip Rivers where Matthew Stafford's going into the final year of his deal. If he was going into the final year of his contract, I would say absolutely you can read into that, that there is definitely a chance that that could be a sign that Matthew Stafford is not planning on being here long term. But based off of all of that, I feel like that's something that realistically they're just changing houses. That's where I'm at at this point. Plus, there's one other point in that. Obviously, Kelly Stafford didn't bring this up, but as Chandler and Sawyer, their twins, get a little bit older, I don't know. I haven't asked Matthew Stafford this, what their plan is for whether they want the kids to be shuttled half the year in one school, half the year in another, or they want them all in one school at one time. And if it's the latter, listen, Atlanta is probably their home base whenever the Staffords are done in football. So one would think they would want their kids enrolled there year-round. They spend half the year in Atlanta in a mansion they own down there. So when I look at that, I say, well, if that's their thought and that's the long-term strategy, and 
Other players do that. Glover Quinn did that toward the end of his career where his family stayed in Texas once the kids were school-aged. Don Muehlbach has done that the last few years because they don't want to disrupt the plans for the kids. Marvin Jones is planning on doing that, is my understanding. I don't know if it's going to be this year or down the road. So you look at all of those things and say, okay, if that's their plan, then it would make sense why they would maybe want to downsize here because if they're not going to be here half the year or three quarters of the year, why have that big of a home? You just don't need it. So with all of that said, that's just kind of my thoughts a little bit on Matthew Stafford and the situation with him selling his home. Other than that, he's healthy. He seems like he's ready to go. And as he said, oh, yeah, the math trick was a fake. So talked a little bit about that. And right after this break, we'll come back and we'll answer all of your questions in this week's podcast. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet simulated NFL, NBA, and also UFC events 24 7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex-Chicago Bulls Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling After the Dance. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. Bet online, your online wagering solution. And guys, are you looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com is the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. And now, back to our show. So welcome back, and now we're going to dig into a bunch of your questions. We'll start with Matthew Billman, who's at Billman9 on the Twitters. Bob Quinn said it made sense to add former Patriots this offseason because of the uncertainty from COVID-19. If I'm not mistaken, weren't all free agents signed well before any kind of quarantine or acknowledged that things were going to get bad? Hindsight, they're great additions now. Matthew, this is a fair question, and... I think it's a little bit of A and a little bit of B. As we were talking about back during the podcasts during free agency, this is a point I brought up pretty early, well before Bob Quinn talked, that there was maybe some logic to bringing in trading for Deron Harmon, bringing in Danny Shelton, bringing in Jamie Collins, because they understand the defense. Matt Patricia has coached two of them extensively. So he understands them and how they play. They'll all understand the roles that they're going to be in because even though the different the defense isn't 100% the same, it's similar enough and some of the terminology is the same that it's a much easier transition. So that is a massive benefit for the Lions. And to me, I think if there was a tiebreaker situation with two players they were going after, that might have been what broke the tie. Also, don't forget, listen, 
there's a certain type of player that's going to be able to play for Matt Patricia. I'm a big believer of that. And these guys understand what they're coming into. They understand the culture that they're being brought into, and that helps. All of that said, do I think it was 100% the reason that this happened? No, because many of the free agency plans were being developed before COVID really became a massive issue in the United States. Yes, free agency happened post-COVID. It happened right, even though it feels like 4,000 years ago, it happened in mid-March, right after the start of COVID. I remember, I don't remember if it was on the podcast or just talking with friends about whether or not they should postpone the start of free agency, the start of the new league year, because people weren't able to go on visits. People weren't able to, to see anyone. So it happened after the COVID shutdown started in a lot of the country, but the plans for all of that were likely made and likely started well before any of the real reality of COVID set in in the United States in the beginning to middle of March. Most of those discussions are happening mid to late February, concurrent with prep for the combine. So that that's when that really all happens. So not 100% that this was going to happen. If COVID didn't happen, it wouldn't have shocked me if they made the exact same signings that they did. But it's certainly a benefit and certainly I think something that as it became more clear that this was going to be a serious thing, that, yeah, it, it probably played into it a little bit. But don't think it was their entire strategy. Bob Quinn even said that. Big Rue, who's at Ruboy12974. Hi. Who is to blame for Lions' woes? One, owners. Can't judge talent or hold folks accountable. Two, coaches. Same as above, plus no winning culture. Three, players. Just taking the paycheck. Four, fans. For accepting the losing with no real consequences for owners. Continuing to spend money. Thanks. Well, Big Roo, I'm going to add number five. All of the above. Uh, I think that, yes. The Fords want to win. I, I haven't, especially, I would say, in the last ten years... I feel as Martha and Sheila have taken over, I, I feel much more confident that yeah, they want to win. They're about accountability. They've they've done some things that have shown that to me over the last six or seven years as they have taken over ownership and become more comfortable in the ownership portion of the team once Bill Ford went to Ford full time and obviously William Clay Ford passed away. So yeah, but I think that they still shoulder some of the blame for what has happened. And listen, if this season goes awry with Quinn and Patricia and it ends up being more of the same, that's incredibly on them. And they, we'll see at that point what their meaningful football thing means. And, and that's part of it. Coaches, absolutely. Coaches lay a large portion of this blame because they've – cycled out over and over again and same with general managers in front office too it's cycled over and over and over again and really other than Wayne Fonts they haven't had any and Jim Caldwell they haven't had any sort of sustained success I would say as far as a winning culture goes I think Caldwell brought in a winning culture three seasons out of four above 500 above 500 couple playoff appearances in there that's not a bad culture and I if you listen to any of the players talk, if you listen to some of the players who've been on in the last month or so, month and a half, talk about Jim Caldwell 
and the culture he put in and how he handled players, I absolutely think that was the right way to go. But listen, it's part of it. There's just it's tough to build a winning culture when you're not winning games, and that's on coaches and also on players. I don't think players, for the most part, are are just taking the paycheck, right? Like some do toward the end of the year once the season's done and you're making business decisions about your future. But players realize if they're not playing hard, if they're not playing to win, they can easily lose their job in 95% of the cases pretty quickly and that other teams are going to notice that. Like that's just the reality of it. I, I don't think many players just take the paycheck they want to win they've been playing this game for years enough to win but also for many of them remember it is a job it is a profession it's different their viewpoint on it is different than a fan's viewpoint on it and I think a lot of times that get gets lost and you've even seen it I've seen it recently on Twitter where I don't know what account it was but talked about showed something with DeAndre Swift working with Matthew Stafford and Kerryon Johnson on the beach with his girlfriend and saying that DeAndre Swift was coming for on Johnson's job, of which on Johnson was like, you don't have to post about a workout for it to have happened. And that's accurate. I don't know what people would want on Johnson to do at this point. DeAndre Swift is somewhat local to Georgia. If he's spending time in Athens, then that's an easy spot for him to get to Atlanta. on Johnson is in Alabama, as far as I know, or he might even be out in LA. I'm not sure exactly where he is, but I don't believe he's in Atlanta. So that's harder for him to get there in COVID-19. Come on. Like beyond that, I, I anticipate on Johnson working really hard. And there's also this, it's probably going to be on Johnson and DeAndre Swift and maybe both Scarborough sharing the ball Anyway, Carryon Johnson told me this back when Bo Scarborough started to emerge and he came back. He was fine with it because, while sure, everyone wants to be the guy, there's also the understanding of this. Running back is a punishing position in the NFL. If you are taking all of the carries, you're not going to have a very long career. And Carryon Johnson understands that. He's still going to get his carries, but he wants DeAndre Swift to get some work. He wants Bo Scarborough to get some work because all of that does is keep him fresher and if all three of them are running it gives defenses different looks and it helps so to me that I know that's an aside here but just something to consider when you're looking at the running back situation so yeah does DeAndre Swift maybe take some carries from on Johnson sure but is on Johnson super angry about that if he's still getting 12 to 15 a game probably not because he's still getting work he's still probably running as hard and it might not affect his stats as much as you think and lastly, in this question, fans for accepting losing with no real Sure. You, if you act with your pocketbook, if you act with your dollars and don't show up to games and don't buy gear and don't support the Lions, then ownership is going to notice. There is no doubt about that because it's a bottom line business and it's a business and the fans taking that into their own hands is really their only way of being able to try and force accountability or force change. So yes, I think that there is something there when, you know, you continue to support a mediocre franchise year after year after year. That is your choice. And I'm not telling anyone how to spend their money at all. You do what you feel is best for you and what you want to do. But sure, there is some level of blame, I think, for fans by continuing to support poor football. 
And I would say that for any sport. If you don't like what you see out of the organization, if it is not making you happy, if it is not bringing you joy, why do it? I think especially in these times, you know, and I hate that phrase, but in these times when we've all kind of had time to ourselves, time away from sports, time away from people in a lot of cases, I know for me at least, I've spent a lot of time deciding, well, what brings me joy? What brings me happiness? And if something doesn't bring me joy or someone doesn't bring me joy or happiness or positivity in my life anymore, why would I continue to do that? And I think it's the same thing with a team or an activity or a source of entertainment or a book. I was actually talking with a friend yesterday and she had said that, yeah, all of a sudden she's gotten to the point where she puts down books and she's much easier discarding them now if she's not enjoying it anymore. Life's too short. That's true. I'm not that type of person. Once I'm past 50 to 75 pages in a book, I feel pot committed and I have to finish it no matter how long it takes. But her point remains, if it doesn't bring you joy and happiness, why continue to do it? I think as we all realize, life is short and our time is fleeting. So do it to do, use things that you enjoy. And for fans, if you're still enjoying the Lions, if you're still enjoying the NFL, if you're still enjoying rooting, go for it. If you're not, then you have a choice to take your pocketbook and, and do it elsewhere. Think of the conversation we had with Ryan Farley on this podcast. Uh, I guess it was a week ago now. Big Lions fan out in Hollywood. He said he's paid more attention to Sunday tickets than Lions games recently, and he's a diehard because uh, it's not bringing him as much joy anymore. So just something to consider when you're looking at all that. But that's a really good question, Big Roo, as we went on for a while about it. Matty Light, who's at Coach Matty P, I'd like to know more about how you think Unlin will impact, Corey Unlin, the defensive coordinator, will impact the defensive scheme and who you think will call the plays. So I think he'll impact it a little bit, but not in the way you think. I think it'll be a sounding Corey Unlin will be a sounding board for Matt Patricia. Somebody will bring in some ideas, but the defense isn't radically changing. The defense is still the defense, and I think you've seen that with how they've made additions both in the draft and in free agency this year. I think Matt Patricia calls plays at least early on, especially with no spring to kind of maybe – Give some practice there. Who knows what training camp is going to look like. Matt Patricia has experience calling plays. I think he's calling plays at least early on. And you kind of see where it goes from there. Do I think they'll ever say who's calling plays? No. I don't think that Matt Patricia or Corey Unlum will ever say who is calling the plays. But my money that doesn't exist, if I were to bet, I would say Matt Patricia calls plays. But I think Corey Unlum has two effects on Matt Patricia. One more ideas to he has no problem saying telling Matt Patricia that's a bad idea they go back so far and they're friends and they're tight enough that he can be a check and balance person for Matt Patricia which I think will help Jamara who's at Jamara 23732 asks any chance the Lions sign a pass rusher or veteran free agent like Jerry Davion Clowney or Mike Daniels yes I think the Lions will sign a pass rusher either on the interior or on the edge at some point here before the season starts I believe that player will be a veteran and I think they'll sign a couple of other free agents too but right now and we'll get into it a little bit more because there's a question a little bit down the road here and actually, no, we're just going to answer that question now as well because they go together. That's Chris Davison, who's at Chris underscore Davison. Why no free agency pickups help the pass rush? We have money. So these two combine together, right? So 
right now, if there are still free agents out on the market that are bigger ticket free agents, right? Like your Everson Griffin, your Davian Clownies, your Mike Daniels even. And, and that's on other positions as well. Chances are it's one of a few things. One, the player wants to wait to maybe take a couple of visits to kind of see what might fit. Two, teams don't necessarily want to drop big money right now because who knows if there'll be a season with fans, if there'll be a season, if there'll be a 16-game season or a 12-game season or whatever it looks like. And three, in a lot of cases, Clowney being one, Mike Daniels being another, you probably want your doctors to look and give a clean bill of health before you give any sort of substantial amount of money to a player. Like, that's just the reality of it. Most of the guys I see out there now are guys that have some medical issues as far as, like, knees or feet or shoulders or whatever that that want to be examined and you don't want to have that player. And if I'm a player, I don't want to sign that contract or agree to terms on that contract because it's not official until the physical is done, until that physical is done. And with certain players, I would want my doctors to do that. It's not dissimilar to what we were talking about during the draft with Tua Tagliavoa, where I would not have made that move or drafted him without having my doctors look at him based off the investment you're making. It's similar with some of these bigger ticket free agent guys like Everson Griffin and Jadavian Clowney. I would imagine once facilities reopen, which theoretically could be happening this week in some cases, once guys are allowed to at least maybe fly in for medicals and we don't know when that's going to happen yet, that's when you could see some of these moves made. But with bigger ticket guys, you might see even more until we know that there's a return to play or there's a return to practice type of situation. Because if all of a sudden there's no season and you're on the hook for that money, why why do that at this point? That's just the reality of business. John DeLeo, who's at John C. DeLeo, asks, do you think the Lions believe John Piacini or Sean Cornell will be able to provide enough depth to the defensive line rotation, or do they need another piece during free agency? Just talked a little bit about the free agency piece of it. Yes, I think they will add somebody on the interior during some sort of veteran. Once free agency comes back around, no, don't know exactly who that player will be. Mike Daniels, obviously a name to look at. Uh, Marcel Darius is another name to possibly look at. I don't believe he got signed anywhere. But I think, yeah, one of John Piacini or Sean Cornell, at least, will be part of this defensive line rotation. Are they likely the fourth defensive lineman or fifth defensive interior defensive lineman? Probably, depending how you view Deshaun Hand and what they do with Deshaun Hand and Romeo Quara, whether they play them more inside or, or outside. But yes, I imagine one of those two will end up being in that rotation and the other one will either be kind of an inactive piece every week or probably on the practice squad. That would be my guess. If you ask me which one is which, can't make that judgment at this point. It's way, way too early to try and figure that out. Uh, I think it might depend on what they feel like they're getting from their main rotation guys of Danny Shelton, Nick Williams, Hand, and maybe TBD uh, before they maybe would go with a Piacini or a Cornell, and also how they play during training camp. And, and that's going to be something to watch. So I believe one of them will, just couldn't tell you which one yet. Derek Sparks, who's at Derek underscore Sparks, asks, no BS, how much do you feel the Lions progressed during this offseason so far? I think they made some progress. I really do. I, I feel like they've added some interesting pieces. I think the Deron Harmon trade will be good for the Lions because it allowed them to move Tracy Walker around a little bit more. Jamie Collins is very versatile. 
as a linebacker and they can kind of move him around to what fits best and that could open up some roles for some players as well. Yeah, I think there was progress there. I think other teams maybe made more progress, specifically the Vikings. I loved their draft. I liked some of what they did during free agency. I think they are probably the team to beat in the NFC North. Have some questions about what the Packers have done, both during the draft and during free agency. Uh, and I think that they could regress a little bit potentially. But listen, if Aaron Rodgers decides that he's going to go scorched earth on the rest of the NFL, then they might end up 13-3. and three. Let's just be real. Aaron Rodgers is that good. And the Bears, I like what they did in adding Nick Foles. I think they've added some other nice pieces, but and their defense is still really good. So I think all three teams have made some moves to maybe get a little bit better in some form or fashion. We'll see what happens with Green Bay. I feel like the Lions have also made moves. I think it's going to be a very competitive division. Uh, I think they will be competitive in the division, but I don't think that they've made the moves to be like division title con- division title favorite. I-, I just don't think that they've done enough to do that. If their offense is healthy, it's going to be among the p- most potent in the league. So it's a question of how much they did on defense, and we'll see what happens there. I think there are a lot of questions on that defensive line still that won't have answers for a long time. Matthew James Kane, who's at Matthew James 487, asks, Am I crazy for thinking this team is very close to winning the division? Very close. Yeah, maybe. Like I was saying just before, Minnesota to me – he is the class of the division. Green Bay still has a Hall of Fame quarterback and who's angry, you know, or seems angry or at least perplexed at what's going on a little bit. And then the Bears, I think, have the de- best defense in the division, and that can definitely help, especially toward the end of the season. So I don't think they're very close to winning the division because I think in order to say that, you have to feel like there may be favorites to win the division, but I think they're going to definitely be competitive in the division this year. I think they have a shot at possibly getting a playoff spot, especially with added playoff game with an added spot in each division. So I think that they can be competitive. I think they can be a contender for a playoff spot. I just don't know if they would win the division this year. I do like some of the pieces they have, especially on offense, but a lot of this is going to come down to coaching too. And if Matt Patricia can't get his players to really play well this year, then no. And, you know, that's part of it too. Matt Patricia has to be smart with his decision-making. He has to make sure that he doesn't do things like have a timeout called in a situation like the opener last year that basically went from a win to a tie because of that decision. You know, it's sure some of that's hindsight, but, you know, they were competitive in almost every game last year. It didn't go their way. Sometimes seasons go like that. Will they get the reverse bounce this year? Who knows? Maybe. And if they do, then I think they end up a Jim Caldwell like nine and seven and maybe end up as a playoff team because Jim Caldwell had that really in 2016 where every with all of Matthew Stafford's fourth quarter comebacks where all of those toss up games went his way and his team's way. Now, you can say some of that's coaching, some of that's luck, some of that's karma, whatever it is. But that's just what happened in 16. Last year, you can say that they were competitive in a lot of games, and they didn't, no, hardly any of them went the Lions' way. So does that change this year? Don't know. But I think for the Lions to be very close to winning the division, they need, I see like six toss-up games on that schedule. They probably need five of them to go the Lions' way to be close to winning the division. 
Nate Simons, who's at what Simons says, says, do you think the Lions improved the secondary enough to get more of the coverage sacks they wanted last year, or do you think the new D.C. will try to bring more pressure? So the new D.C. is different in name, but realistically it's the same defense. It's the same philosophy. I don't anticipate Matt Patricia changing that much off of the defense. I think Corey Unlum will have suggestions. I think the secondary will – it's tough to say that they will be better. I think that they have, by midseason, the potential of a better 1-2 combination at corner with Trufant and Okuda than they had with Slay and Rashawn Melvin slash Amani Awarie. And that's not a knock on Amani Awarie because I think Awarie is really good. And as I had said on a – I think it was an Instagram live chat. I think that there's a chance that Awarie ends up pushing Trufant for a starting job by the end of the season. I, I really believe that. I think Awarie has a ton of talent. But when I look at it, I, I yeah, I, I think that they have the potential for an improved secondary. Deron Harmon allows them to move Tracy Walker around a little bit. Justin Coleman, as long as he's not playing outside, if he's playing in the slot, is a good interior corner. Uh, I don't love their depth at this point. I think that they have some major questions with depth, can Jamal Agnew finally put it together defensively? Can Mike Ford take a step forward? Obviously, they have a Warrior who's probably their backup first call out of the bullpen on the outside corner spot at this point. But will he take a good jump from year one to year two? And will he be able to without a spring to work out and without playing time consistently on a week-to-week basis? I, I don't know the answer to that. So, yeah, I think it's possible, but... There has to be better pressure even with out blitzing for coverage sacks to happen because otherwise if they run man like they typically do, although they ran some zone, if they run man like they usually do and press like they usually do, if you're not getting the quarterback fast enough, as Darius Slay said and has put it, like you and other corners have said too, you can only cover for so long. And I truly believe that. So that's still on the front seven to generate some pass rush, whether that's with blitzing or without blitzing and being able to beat their men. So, uh, yes, I think there's a chance they could get more coverage sacks, but they still need to get some sort of pressure on the outside. A healthy Trey Flowers would help that. Theoretically, Julian O'Quara can help that. Jamie Collins can help that. Maybe using Jared Davis more as a pass rusher can help that. I'm still not sold on the interior of the defensive line. Nick Williams, I know he had six sacks last year for Chicago. Those were also the first six sacks of his career, and he's 30 years old. So if you're the Lions, you're hoping that maybe he finally unlocked something versus it being a George Johnson-esque one-year wonder situation. So I think there's a lot of questions still on the defensive line, and that's going to be the big key to whether they're able to get the pressure they need to get coverage sacks or any sort of sacks. Jeremy Friedrichs at Friedrichs JK. Asks, Michael, what is your favorite road city to visit during the season? Any crazy travel stories? Thanks. So my favorite road city during a season. I mean, listen, I'm going to be biased. Obviously, New York for me, that's home. That's that's where I grew up. That's where my, my dad still is. That's where a lot of my friends still are. That's where in my heart I still am. And so that's always my favorite road city to visit. I haven't had an L.A. road trip for the NFL yet. I love Los Angeles. Seattle is always a favorite of mine. One of my closest friends lives there, and it's just an amazing city. Those three would probably be my favorite three. I really like Arizona as well, as long as it's not in week one because it's 
so unbearably hot but being able to go hike at some point on a Saturday or a, like I hiked sun, early Sunday morning before the season opener last year, I like being able to do that. When there's something outdoors to do, when there's a city I'm able to explore, those are great. And, and I really, really enjoy those cities to visit, cities that have things to do that are exciting. Chicago is obviously another one if you're looking at one every year. Uh, I really enjoy Chicago. It's a fantastic city. It's a fun city. Mass transit's good. That's another key for me when it comes to visiting a road city. If you're mass transit, now obviously who knows what that's going to look like here in the future, but if your mass transit's good, if you have a good system so I don't have to run a car, I don't have to take an Uber or a Lyft much at all, I'm a big fan of that. Minneapolis is another one where everything's kind of condensed. So I, I know I listed a lot. Um, if I was a favorite... Listen, it's New York. Even though getting to the Meadowlands, MetLife Stadium is a pain in the butt. Being able to stay in the city, being able to hang out in the city, see family, that for me is a favorite, as is Washington, D.C. as well. I didn't mention that. Uh, Again, getting out to Landover is a pain in the butt. But being able to stay in Washington and and spend some time with friends and with family is, is what I really, really enjoy. So that's what makes a good road city for me are are some of those things. So if I had to rank them, I would probably go New York, Washington, Seattle, Los Angeles, Arizona, Chicago, if I were to give you a top six. But most of the cities honestly are great. The only one that is not that great to visit in, I haven't really spent significant time in Green Bay, but that Appleton Green Bay road trip, there's just not a ton going on there. I end up sleeping a lot actually during that road trip. Uh, crazy travel stories. Hmm. I mean, I've got a ton and maybe I'll, I'll shelve this for perhaps a short bonus podcast episode of crazy, of crazy travel stories down the road here. Uh, one real quick, I ended up spending most of a day in, uh, the airport in Dallas and made $700 in uh, flight bumps. That was a couple of years back. I think it was after a Monday night football game too, if I remember correctly, I, or maybe it was after the last time they played in Dallas, uh, in Matt Patricia's first season. I don't remember which one it was, but that, that was awesome. That I was a big, big fan of that. I've had some other crazy travel experiences as well, both covering the NFL and covering other things throughout my career. So maybe I'll, I'll have a separate short bonus podcast with that Jeremy because I think that that could be an interesting uh like random Tuesday episode Leotis Lee I apologize I'm not going to even try to pronounce your numbers and letters uh Twitter handle will Quinn and Patricia go after a big name proven pass rusher like Everson Griffin or Jadavian Clowney Matthew Stafford just needs some help on defense I think they'll become at least a 10 win team as we were talking about before I think they will go after some sort of defensive lineman do I think it's Jadavian Clowney? No, I probably don't. I think that that's probably a larger bill than the Lions are going to be willing to pay. Everson Griffin would be really intriguing to me. I think he would fit. There could be some sort of overlap with Trey Flowers, but hey, if you're able to have Griffin and Flowers either on the field together or kind of rotating them in and out that becomes devastating for opposing offensive tackles and could really help in winning one-on-one battles I think when it comes to the pass rush I I don't I don't know if they go and get either one of those guys they have the money for it there's no doubt about that at least for Griffin Clowney again I think 
you're probably asking a little bit too much. Uh, and I don't know whether they'd be willing to make the investment there, but he he would fit the defense without question. But uh, you know, a guy like Marcel Darius could be a guy to look at. A couple of other veterans here, I think that they could uh, at some point. I don't know if it'll happen before training camp, or maybe once roster cuts happen, or if it looks like a guy's maybe falling out of favor and there's a trade to be made. I think that's entirely possible. I agree with you that the defense is what needs to get better. It needs to improve. Ten wins? I don't know. I, I really don't. That's a pretty big jump from three wins, even though Stafford was hurt. So maybe you're at, looking at a five- or six-win team again. That's still a pretty big jump to me. I, I don't know if it happens. But, yeah, I think he could. this team will be much better if he gets the help he needs on defense. Derek Ott, who's at Pot to Ott. I like that Twitter handle, by the way. Will the NFL really play without fans or half-empty stadiums? Would they push the season back until fans can go again? So, I, I don't know. I I don't think that they would be opposed to playing in empty stadiums or half-empty stadiums. Because let's be real about this. The majority of the fans of the NFL, and of any sport really, but the majority of the fans of the NFL, especially since it has attention worldwide, Watch on television. They just do. Television contracts are huge. It's a large portion of what the revenue ends up being. It's why some of the salaries are as large as they are. It's because of TV. So if you're able to safely put a game on, if it means that there's no fans, but you can have it on television, you're seeing it with the Bundesliga now, you're going to see it with the Premier League, you're going to see it with some other sports here as we go. Yeah, I think they do it because you will still watch. There will still be entertainment. Sure, you might not be able to go. You might not be able to congregate and tailgate. All of that. That's part of the experience. I think more so for college football than the NFL, honestly. But yes, I think the NFL would absolutely play without fans. I do because that's you're still providing a product. You're still providing a product to TV and you're providing a product to your consumers. They just might not be able to go at least early on. If they're able to have half-empty stadiums or a, you know, a third full stadium, sure. I think that that's a possibility too as long as you can do it safely and do it smartly and do it where everybody feels comfortable. If you can do that, sure, I can see you doing it. Do I think there'll be full stadiums? No. Governor, We'll use Michigan as an example. Governor Gretchen Whitmer said, yeah, it's going to be different for a while. I agree with her. I think that, you know, you're starting to see some plans come out, like what's happened down in Miami, where they're trying to come up with ideas. So, yes, I think the NFL would absolutely do that. I think that they would play. If you're going to, if you want to wait until full stadiums can happen, you are going to be waiting probably until there is a vaccine for for games to be played. And that that's just, again, my opinion, my speculation is that I know for me, I would not feel comfortable going to a full stadium as a fan because quarters are tight, seating is tight. We all know this. I would not feel comfortable going as a fan until there was a vaccine to a full stadium. You, if you social distance it correctly, if you're doing, taking all proper protocols, taking temperature on the way in, have contact test, all of those things that, that you hear about being talked about very often these days. If all of that happens, sure, I can see them bringing some fans back. I just don't know if I can see where full stadiums would be smart. Does that mean it'll happen? Who knows? I don't know the answer to that question, but I just can't see it. I can see them much more likely playing without fans, at least to start. 
and then we kind of see how things go. But anyone who tells you that they know exactly what's going to happen right now, I, I was talking to somebody about this earlier today. You can't really buy that because everything is speculation. Everything is an unknown. And, and we know this because look at where we were in March to where we are now, right? And look at what how all of these things with COVID-19 have evolved. We just don't know what's going to happen. So we can make contingency plans all we want. You see Major League Baseball doing that now. But until you're actually doing it, who knows how that's going to go and who knows how many people are going to feel comfortable going to a game right now. And the same thing with players too. You know, when I wrote, I wrote a story or helped write a story about MMA and them kind of coming back and, and what gyms were going through as UFC, which has come back with no fans in the stands. And, and I, I had talked to some gym owners about that and they had said, listen, some fighters are in different situations because if you live with somebody who has multiple sclerosis or you live with people who are elderly, your level of caution might be different than the person who's living alone as a 24 year old fighter. And the same thing goes with the NFL. And you know, if what happens if you're, wife or or husband is a doctor or a nurse and in a hospital sure hospitals seem to be calming down a little bit there's not that you know mass crush of covid patients i think based off of the nurses and doctors i've spoken to that that there was but there's still that concern there you don't want to pass it to other people that is part of all of this right so it depends on your level of comfort it depends on the player's level of comfort uh, of which I think every player is going to have one that is different than another. So that's something to weigh in as well. It's about safety. And sure, it's important for fans. But if players and coaches, it's about the safety for them too. Because this is their job. And, and this is what they do for a living. So I don't know. That's a long answer for me saying yes. I can see the NFL really playing without fans or in half-empty stadiums. If they thought it was a matter of a couple of weeks, maybe they will push the season back a couple of weeks. But... I, I don't know if that would be their sole reasoning. Again, that's just my speculation. I could easily see them playing without fans or in half-empty stadiums. And our last question today comes from Tyler Bantle, who's at T.S. Bantle. Assuming an NFL season, who do you see starting versus the Lions in Week 1? Mitchell Trubisky or Nick Foles? This is a good question, and we've talked about it a little bit. I talked about it a bit on the podcast, breaking down the schedule. And I... Right now, I would probably lean toward Mitchell Trubisky starting week one. That's just my my thought, my gut, uh, without having the training camp to really get familiar with people. But I think it's a, a coin flip. I think this is beneficial for the Lions either way because I think there will be a real quarterback competition between Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky. I think it would be more advantageous for the Lions, actually, if Nick Foles were the starter because it would be his first start in a new offense. He wouldn't. Who knows if there'll be preseason games? Who knows if there'll be joint practices? There hasn't been the spring for him to be get to get acclimated with receivers. So I look at those things and I say I think it would be more of an advantage for Nick Foles to start for the Lions than Mitchell Trubisky, who has the familiarity. But I think it's a coin flip. If you ask me right now, I think it's Mitchell Trubisky, but that is not anywhere set in stone. I lied. We got one last question that came in late here as we're recording. Alan Perlstein 
who's at Al the Lion, asks, playing in the NFL is a physically punching profession. I believe that besides kickers, most players still playing by the age of 30, eight years in the league, develop a significant physical issue. In order to prevent lifetime disability, should NFL careers end after 10 years? That's a fair question. And it, it it's interesting you ask that because um, I think that when you see a lot of players talk, and, and I've talked to a ton, I've talked to a lot of players who've gone 10 years, a lot of them... When they get in the league, they say, I want to get to my second contract. And then once they're in it for a little bit, they're like, I want to play 10 years. 10 years, I maybe it's because it's a round number, seems to be a benchmark for a lot of players. Get me to 10 years and, and we'll kind of go from there and then I'll take it year by year. I think a lot of players that are not quarterbacks, that are not kickers, punters, long snappers, feel that way. Uh, I know Glover Quinn did. I know Ricky Jean-Francois did. To name two, uh, I think Calvin Johnson in many ways looked at it like that in some in some form or fashion. So yeah, I think that that matters. Do I think that the NFL should automatically stop a career at ten years? Absolutely not, because you've had some guys who've gone. Look at Dom Muehlbach. I mean, sure, it's a long snapper because Dom Muehlbach's played four hundred years, and you know, I, I think you look at. Some other players, Charles Woodson would be an example. He played way more than 10 years. Rod Woodson, I believe, played way more than 10 years. If you're still able to play and you want to play and a team wants you, value-wise, you should absolutely still be able to play. I, I think limiting you're limiting a player because of that, especially because by that time, a player is able to really understand what's going on and make their own decisions on that. So I think capping a player... At 10 years, no matter what, would not be fair. I, I would imagine there would probably be a lawsuit involved with that because that just, to me, I just can't see that happening. Uh, I just, no. The The short answer to that is no. Do I think players look at 10 years and use that as a benchmark? Sure. I know plenty of players who have. But do I think that the NFL should institute a law about it or a rule about it? Absolutely not. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Really appreciate it. Hopefully you got something out of this mailbag episode of the podcast. We'll do it again soon, uh, especially as if there's no other football to talk about, then uh, we'll, we'll take more of your questions more often. And thanks, as always, to Blue Wire, to Regents Field, to Bet Online for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Rothstein, on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. We'll try to maybe do uh, some Instagram and Facebook chats here down the road as well. Thanks, as always, for listening. Don't forget, if you can, give a five-star review uh, and subscribe and download over wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be much appreciated as we try to continue to grow this podcast and try to get better and bigger guests for you. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we will talk with you again on Thursday. 